Hey everyone, welcome back to the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. Along with me is my co-host, Chase McCallum. And today uh, we got one, well, I, I'm going to call it big piece of news, but it's only really big because of the team that we're talking about. Any other team, and there's no way we would spend most of a podcast, like we probably will here, breaking down a sixth defenseman and a dude who got waived for a 13th forward and a second round pick, but uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs made a trade and that means we've got to talk about it. Um, it's, it's fitting though, given um, that one of our co-hosts is a Leafs fan. I live, you know, around Toronto area. So it is a very prominent topic. Um, the Leafs pick up Ilya Lubushkin uh, from Arizona, along with Ryan Dezingle, who they placed on waivers and then was claimed from San Jose uh, for Nick Ritchie and a second round pick in 2025 or a 2023 third round pick. So it's Arizona's choice. So you can either get the early draft pick down around or uh, the later draft pick up around uh, interesting condition on it. I don't think I've ever really seen that um, uh, before I get into you, uh, you know, what your thoughts on it were chase. I'm going to pat myself on the bat because uh, on the back, I, I tweeted it out a couple of times. I'm sure everyone's already sick of me bragging about it, but Lubushkin is one of the people I uh, mentioned over a month ago that I thought Toronto could trade for in terms of getting a right-handed defenseman on the cheap. And uh, that's what happened. So I'm, I'm not saying I am a Kyle Dubas burner account, but I'm also not saying I'm not. Yeah, you called this one forever ago. That was pretty good. I was uh, looking back and it was January 11th that I had said, and that, and that was just, I was just kind of looking around the league and spitballing, but uh, anyways, the, the trade has happened. Uh, I'm curious to get your thoughts on it. There's um, for such a, what really might boil down to being a sixth defenseman trade. There's a lot to talk about. It feels like, and then I joke that it's because it's Toronto, but it's also, you know, there's, there, it's because of how not, you know, how complicated of a trade this is for a quote unquote sixth defenseman. Yeah, hundred percent. And like the the condition on it's really cool and everything. And there's the conversation. Like I think the, there's an interesting conversation about Richie and like people slamming Dubas for it and all that stuff. But I don't know. When this trade happened, I was like, okay, like that's pretty good. And then from uh, I was like, okay, but I'm sure Twitter will probably be slightly mad because I had to give up a pick to dump Richie or whatever. No, everybody seemed to like love this almost universally. And I didn't think it was like crazy good or anything, but I thought it made sense. It was a good trade. Yeah, I think it was fine. I think there's definitely a lot of angles you can approach it. The one thing I will say is, yeah, it felt like, like I sent you a tweet saying, I don't think it was someone complaining. Yeah, it was someone said Dubas traded like a $2.5 million press box guy and people are mad we gave up a second rounder in 2025. And I sent that to you and it kind of just felt like one of those, but I was told that Steph Curry wasn't a good shooter kind of tweets. Whereas like you're kind of just making this up about no one because I don't think I've seen anyone say this at all, like at at all, at all. Um, in terms of the actual trade, like I think uh, he'll fit in pretty nicely with uh, like the right side there. Like he's definitely going to be better than Hall. Um, Sandine's been playing really well. Although if you looked at uh, Toronto Twitter, you wouldn't assume that, Um, but he'll probably fit right in on that right side as the second third. He's probably better than Travis Dermott at this point as much as I want to like Travis Dermott, but um, I don't, it'll be interesting to see, you know, where he kind of fits because so far, you know, he a doesn't bring anything offensively. He's a defensive only guy. So uh, the one interesting thing to me about that is 
I'm curious to see what the rest of their deadline moves look like because one of the things we criticized Dubas for last year was leaning into the defense at the deadline when it became painfully obvious in the playoffs that depth scoring is really what they needed. And, you know, that does, this doesn't really lean into that either. It's a more big defensive defenseman type guy than anything else. So um, it'll be interesting to see if they play him on a second pair with Muzzin, who is out in injury and has really, really struggled this year. Or if he's more of a third pair, people still seem to seem to be convinced that they want to uh, trade hall for a magical right-handed second pair defenseman and play Labushkin and then Sandine on the third pair, Muzzin and this magical defenseman that I, I don't know that is out there on the second pair, and then um, Riley Brody on the first pair. But uh, as a fit, like it's fine. I just, I, I'm curious to see what they do with him long term or like long term in terms of this year more than anything else. Yeah. Cause like the, the fear is you might be able to push Liljegren down the lineup, but like, Every sign is that Liljegren's good. And the best thing long-term for this team is that Liljegren can hang in the top four. But they might not find out for another year because of this trade. That's the only downside, I think. I was shocked at looking at Liljegren's numbers about like, like how solid they look. Because everything I've heard from people who just go by more of the eye test are like, he gets pushed around, he gets bullied out there, he looks lost when it's tough competition or whatever. And there's not a lot to suggest that if you're looking at the underlying numbers. If you want to rank the way public perception feels about Leafs defensemen this year, you have to sort strictly by PDO. Which probably isn't different from a lot of teams defensemen, to be fair, but. That's true. I, especially um, a team that the fan base has been primed to have a shit fit after every single loss. Yes, it is incredible the uh, crying that goes on anytime this team loses a game. But yeah, like a hey, or yeah, Lilligren's numbers from all things kind of look really good. Like his RP RAPM is all positive. Um, Hockey Viz's model has him as a slightly above average defensive guy and very, like average offensive defenseman that just doesn't really bring much, but doesn't hurt you. Eat. Like you're not actively getting destroyed in the offensive zone when he's on the ice either. So. Um, yeah, like him being pushed down the lineup is maybe not as good of a thing as people seem to want, but like, I just, I, I genuinely, maybe this is something for after we talk about the trade, but I genuinely don't understand where this magical defenseman's coming from on the right side, unless there's a guy with term that I'm not aware is available. You know, I know Cam and our group chat has been pushing for Damian Severson a bit. And like, if someone like that becomes available, then sure, I guess. But um, there's not like, if you look at the rental market, Ben Chirot is the biggest name, and that's because most of the rentals suck. I, I guess Klingberg is out there, too, if you want to really go swing all in. But, um, like, there's just not a ton of options for a peer on peer rental. No, there's really not that much there. And, like, at some point, you're going to have to score in the playoffs. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, so that route. That's the other thing, too. It's like, it'll be interesting to see what they do here, because if they double down on this defensive style it's like well you almost want to question did they learn their lesson from last year and maybe dubas would argue that saying that they they needed depth scoring is overreacting to a three games considering they had a three one game lead without their captain but i don't know like that was the one thing that became painfully obvious is like no offense to um montreal but like 
if your first line is becoming completely immobilized over four games, four games or whatever it is. Right. And, and um, all immobilized because Philip Deneau is shutting you down again. Like he's a very good, probably even underrated player, but like Philip Deneau shouldn't be the difference between your 110 point winger and 50 plus goal score center um, not doing anything or not. Right. And, but like if they're getting shut down and nothing else was coming out of it because Nylander had no one to play with, like it, it just feels like you need more there in terms of scoring. And I don't know, it'll just, and I'm not saying he like, obviously, you know, there absolutely could go out and add a left winger of some kind that could actually shoot the puck as well. But it'll just, it's just weird because, you know, Labushkin definitely, even if you like, if this is the guy they envision maybe playing with Muzzin, even for a certain stretch, he doesn't really like him and Muzzin are a very defensive, defensive pairing. So you better hope that they don't need to transition the pocket and play too much offense. Yeah. For what it's worth, he does give them more like flexibility with their D because as good as like Liljegren is, if you feel like that is something you need come playoff time, like him and Hall are just not that guy. Yeah. And like, I'm definitely like, I don't think he's a bad player. I think he's a, a solid player. He is really good in his own end as well. And I think his game probably relates to a playoff hockey style more where it's like, he's a bigger body that can, who's going to play more physical and play some runs, more interference and stuff. And as much as that shouldn't uh, play into a playoff style, penalties obviously get turned off during the playoffs. So being a little more aggressive like that might be able to, to give them a bit of an edge that some other guys can't because, you know, Justin Hall doesn't play physical or anything like that. So, or not, not overly physical anyway. So I, I think, I think it's a, an interesting enough move to add some depth, but um, picture this. The playoff time comes around, right? Matthews is on ice shooting percentage is 15%. So they win the series in say six games against Tampa, whoever they play. But Labushkin interferes with at least three people and it doesn't get called at crucial points. People point to that as the least learning how to play playoff hockey. And he's the reason they've won now one series. Oh, Tell me that would not happen. <laughs> 100s. It seemed just like his last year of like Tavares didn't get hurt and scores three goals and the, the Leafs win 4-1 instead of the reverse sweep. People, even though he did absolutely nothing, people would be like, Nick Foligno taught this team to play hard-hitting hockey. Like, Oh, God, yeah. And you know, like, Matthew, if they win a game in six games, series in six games, Matthews could have 11 points and, like, people's takeaway is still going to be some shit about him teaching them how to play physical or something. Yeah, absolutely. Like 100%. So, um, yeah, I guess like from a Toronto side of it, that's kind of the big thing. Uh, I was curious, what's your take on, you know, just waving Dezingle? It kind of felt like a given conclusion that he was going to be waived. I mean, there's obviously, I, I think the narrative sometimes goes a little far of the whole people claim anyone the Leafs wave, although it is definitely a little more aggressive than other teams. That's for sure. But um, did, did you, did you care that they lost a single for nothing? Was that something? But is there any feeling about that at all? Would you rather have seen him stay on the main roster, some depth, or no? I thought what they did with the single was perfect. Like, I like him uh, as a pickup. He's fine depth, you know, a 13th forward that can shoot at a relatively high percentage that might get you that goal when you need in the playoff series. But he's also worse than all 12 of their current forwards. So, 
you kind of just had to wave them and if you lose him, you lose him. It's not the end of the world. It would have been nice to have, but I think they played that perfectly, and it just sucks that he got claimed. Yeah, his shooting percentage is funny because he's shit offensively. Yeah, like, in, in terms of fun. generating stuff, anyways, like he the the teams he's on generate nothing offensively, and he's actually over the past year and a half turned himself more into a defensively responsible forward. But which he used to like went back in his peak Ottawa days in Columbus when he got traded, he would just bleed chances defensively, but he had so much speed he could create offensively. So, uh, yeah, I, I didn't think it was a massive deal that they lost him. I thought it was an interesting throw in. It definitely just kind of make the money work or, or contracts balance. I'm assuming, but. Um, you know, when they wave him, like, I don't think he's a significant upgrade over like Kyle Clifford, who they have in the minors right now. So exactly. It was one of those things. Like it was worth a shot. That type of guy who's on waivers doesn't really matter. Also, people who are like complaining about the least getting picked up on waivers. Uh, you can't brag about your team having good forward depth and then complain about them getting picked <laughs> up on waivers. That's the other thing. Like, you can't be like, God, our GM is so smart. Look at how many fringe NHL forwards he picks up. So we have all this depth and then be like, wait, how did we lose all this depth when we waived it? Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because by definition, it just means you're constantly going to have NHL quality forwards on waivers, which is how you end up leading the league in waiver claims. Yeah. And like, obviously there were some unlucky ones like, uh, who did they claim and then immediately waved and Brooks. Winnip- Brooks, yeah, Adam Brooks. They so they claimed him and then waved him again. And Winnipeg picked him up two days later after letting him go through the first time. And literally, instead of doing the two seconds of research it would take to figure this out, everyone just immediately went, The Jets did that to spike the Maple Leafs. It's like, I don't know what your whole thing is, but if you think picking up a 14th forward off of waivers the second time around spites a team you're probably got, you're probably not a very good NHL hockey team. And yeah, shocker, it turns out that the reason they actually did it was because they lost Andrew Kopp and someone else in their top nine that literally the night before and just needed a warm body to, to fill in until those guys get back. So. Yeah. Like that, that conversation was so strange to me. Yeah. It's just, it was just classic. It was like, I, I get that Toronto is in the middle of everything, but that is like peak why they get made fun of for thinking they're in the middle of everything because yeah, only in Toronto could that ever have been a story. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm actually uh, surprised it was a story in Toronto. Yeah. yeah. And and like, sure. There, there's probably been one or two other cases where it's like, yeah, it probably feels like if that guy wasn't playing for Toronto, no one would have any idea who he is. And maybe a team doesn't put a claim in, but like, the idea that just every player they waiver claim should never be claimed and they always get claimed or something is also very silly. And the other thing is people will be like, well, blank player X, Y, and Z went through waivers earlier this month. It's like, yes, that is on that two week stretch when everyone, or that two day stretch when everyone puts everyone on waivers and teams just don't have the room to pick anyone up. Of course those people cleared. Yeah. So yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't really have much more to say about that. Um, from the Arizona angle, uh, not a ton to talk about. I, I like this deal from them. You know, I, I thought uh, there was, I saw one or two people complaining that maybe it wasn't enough from Arizona. It's like, as much as I like Labushkin as a player, he's been a sixth defenseman his entire career. Like I saw some people in Leafs Twitter really trying to pump him up. I think he's played in the top four more this year, but last year they were like, 
Chitron was his most used partner. And it was like, yes, that's true. But that's because Chitron played with them coming back from injury to start the year. And then I'm pretty sure Lebrushkin was hurt for a lot of the year. So, or, or just wasn't playing significant minutes. So that's just naturally how it came. He was not a top four guy for most of his career. Um, so a third round pick for that. And then you're taking obviously the salary of Nick Ritchie. And to be honest, like I, I still don't hate Nick Ritchie for a team like Arizona either. It's worth a shot as a reclamation project. Although one thing for Lubushkin, it is worth noting, quality of competition is generally pretty highly correlated with time on ice. He's kind of an outlier there. He does play more difficult minutes than you would expect, given how little they use him, which makes sense given his like defensive statistics and everything. Yeah, yeah absolutely. For, absolutely. Like, like... Richie's cheap. It, it seems like if you could get, say, 10 points in uh, – 15 games going into the deadline or something out Richie, some team would talk themselves into him. Or even because he's got the extra year in his contract, even if you just hold him till next year. Yep. If a team wants to bite on him again in the summer, sure. If not, you play him until next year. If some teams takes him on the deadline, great. If not, who cares? Like he could be as much as we laugh, like at the Coyotes, they need more bodies like this, right? Like, yep. yeah, they need like, Richie was horrible this year in Toronto. Um, his shooting percentage kind of fucked him. Like he's not actually as bad as you would think. People the way people have talked about him, but like he's a fourth line. There's forward. value. Yeah, a tenth forward for the Arizona Coyotes as an NHL contract with a year left when your entire team is a UFA this summer, basically. Yeah, like you're gonna need warm bodies next camp. Yeah, exactly. So. Yeah, and you probably, like I would assume, taking his contract maybe slightly upgraded the pick as well. And, and honestly, I really like that uh, it's a, a 2023 or 2025 pick because they have so many damn picks in this upcoming draft that it's not like they need any more. Like if I'm the Coyotes, I'm looking for all future picks, basically. They already have eight in the first two rounds of this draft, um, which is just... You absolutely have to punt that pick back. Yeah, exactly. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if they trade back or trade for a player with a couple of their second rounders this year. I mean, the NHL thing will be the trade up, but, but like, if I, if I was them, like you just keep trading back and at the deadline, it'd be like, Oh, you don't want to move your 2022 picks. That's fine. We'll take your 2023 or even 2024 instead, but they already have three second rounders for 2024, two for 20, uh, the, and two third rounders. If they take the Leafs third rounder, because right now on cap friendly is this is 2025 pick. If they take the Leafs third rounder, they already have three second rounders and three third rounders for drafts three years from now and two fourth rounders in that draft too. So like they are just absolutely stacked with picks in the future, but you know what? That is an amazing thing because look at what Vegas was able to do with that. Yep, exactly. They had a war chest and they, barely have drafted players from that war chest on their team. And they're like the, what, third best team in the league when healthy, second best team in the league when healthy? Yeah, they, because they were able to go out. Like, I'm pretty sure that Jack Eichel trade still had one of the picks that they had from the expansion draft. Or like, I know for sure, like the Mark Stone one did, where it's just like, this is just a random second we picked up in the expansion draft. Here, you can have this. And so, you know, for Arizona, it's almost like starting new with how much they gutted this team. Um, it's, this is basically what they're going to do. And that's a very smart play. So I think the, uh, the underrated thing about it being a future pick is, uh, a really solid thing for Arizona in this case. Yeah. It works out perfectly for them. It's like the clock, like we've talked about this a lot, but it is kind of easy for GMs for a losing team. Cause all you have to do is like stripping it down is very easy, but Hey, it's still credit where credit's due, right? 
yeah, absolutely. Like this is as much as, you know, we say it's easy to do this. Look at how many other teams didn't bother doing this or to this degree, you know? Exactly. Like somebody's still got to do it. There's value in it. We've actually probably not seen this much draft pick value on one team in a while. Not since Vegas. Like I don't, I can't remember a team that has had this much draft pick value just trading this way. Yeah. Ottawa had a bunch a couple of years ago, but I don't think Ottawa ever had eight picks in the first two rounds and then was set for the next two years drafts before trading away even more guys at this deadline. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's just so ridiculous how stacked they are on picks. Yeah. And like there's talk that Chitron wants out now. So that is going to get you a first and a good prospect. Almost certainly. Maybe even more people love Chitron. Yeah. Yeah, that that uh, and he's cost control. You can sell the fact that he's cost controlled for three more years at a good price, four point six, and this is in dire prime. So, like, you should be able to realistically get a haul for him. Yeah, but um, yeah, I, I don't really have a ton more. I guess the other thing I wanted to mention was um, I found the the two extremes on Twitter, as as it always seems to be pretty hilarious today about how. Uh, um, some people were praising Kyle Dubas for getting out of a mess that he created and other people were like aggressively flaming him for making the mess in, in general, like there's yep. gotta be a nice middle ground somewhere between those two things where it's like, yes, like, like there, there were some over the top ones of like, you're telling me Dubas got out of this 2.5 non NHL play like forward and got a person back. And it would only cost like a second round, maybe a third round pick. It's like, well, yes, but also he's the one who signed this quote-unquote 14th forward for 2.5 by 2. And like, and the other thing is, then you had the other people get getting mad that he ever signed that. It's like, that deal was like genuinely, if not liked, just said, okay, solid at the time. Like, people hated the camp deal and even the bunting. No, nah, maybe not the bunting one, but for sure the camp one and the Cauchy one more than they hated the Nick Ritchie signing. That's for sure. Oh, absolutely. And, like, I think, like, it's, I'm not going to go nuts praising him, but I do think people who are like, well, he signed the contract in the first place, so he's an idiot or whatever, like, fundamentally misunderstand hockey and life itself. Uh, Because, like, when you're signing a guy, you're making a decision with a high amount of uncertainty. So, basically, all you can do is make, like, positive expected value bets. And, I mean, Pretty much everybody smart I saw liked somewhere between liked and loved this Richie contract for Toronto. I'm sure you can find a tweet of a couple of people hate it, but like, let's be honest, the vast majority of people were pretty high on this deal, thought it was at least a good signing. And then it flamed out miserably. And those things happen sometimes. You can do the right thing in the NHL and have it blow up in your face. And when that happens, it's fine to say, you know, kind of forgive someone to signing the contract because sometimes things just looked at this, that things that looked smart at the time just don't work out. Uh, and good for you. Good for Dubas for realizing that because what a lot of people do that gets really dangerous is realize that way too late. Yeah. Or do, even double down on their move or be like, no, this is going to work. And like, yeah, like this summer, everyone was, everyone thought that Nick Ritchie was going to be what my doing, what Michael Bunting is doing right now. Yep, exactly. And it, it seemed like a fair bet. I think we both went on 
Nick yeah, Fury I agreed. thought it was. I thought it was a solid deal. Yeah, because so I'm listening back to our old like season previews. A little tease. Me and Mets have a podcast plan where we're revisiting the the season previews to see like how we did or whatever. So I, I actually just redid our Atlantic ones. I have all the notes laid out, and both of us basically said. Like the Richie and Kasha signings were the highest upside. Or sorry, the Bunting and Kasha signings had huge upside, but the Richie contract had a really low floor. <laughs> we kind of failed to see how it would blow up in their face. And I think most people would have said something like that. Yeah. And like, here we are. It hasn't worked out, but I, I don't know. Like, I'm even still at the point where I'm sure if Toronto had to play that dude as a 12 forward, he would probably be livable if you just gave him 30 more games. Now, okay. Like his shooting percentage was like insanely low. I don't know if he actually scored a goal, to be honest. I think but he had like one. I, I definitely think he had one. Because that made him look way worse than he was. Like his, it's hard to, he only played a little bit. But like if you look at his RAPM chart or whatever, it doesn't look like someone who's pathetic and clearly doesn't belong in the league. It just looks like a kind of a meh, meh to bad player. And I think yeah, that's what it is. Exactly. And like, the thing is, it's just like, when I say passable, like Toronto wants more, more than passable. And that's more than understandable given where the team is in their competing window. Right. Like if this yep. was, if Nick Ritchie was, if they signed this contract three years ago and had the expectations from like three or four years ago, I bet you this would be half the issue. If that, that it is now, but understandably that the stakes are higher. And the other thing that I think was crazy to me about the people just giving him shit for signing this contract is like, especially the people who are like, how did you give him two years? It's like, because for every Nick Ritchie he swung and missed on, he killed it with a Michael Bunting has a year left. David Camp has a year left. Those two guys, like Michael Bunting is playing like a legitimate top blank winger, put 90, top 80. He's a first, he's been a first line winger legitimately. And like, and he, tell he's, me he's not getting the Verhage contract, which is four by four for those who don't know if he had one year left, if he was expiring this year. Absolutely. Instead, they get him for 950K and ELC again next year. David Kempf has been one of the best third line centermen in the league. He makes 1.5 again next year. You know, he's going to be locked in there. Like, so for every, every Nick Ritchie swing and miss there is by doing a two by two or whatever, you get a bunting and a, uh, a camp where the value of that is exponentially greater than having to spend what equals probably a sixth round pick or whatever. Cause I'm assuming like in a normal world, the Bushkin probably would have went for like a fourth maybe or a third, yeah. or maybe it's a third and you don't add that condition. So it's like whatever the value of a third to a second pick upgrade is, which I think would be like a fifth or sixth round pick. Probably that's what Nick Ritchie was worth to get rid of. And like, that is not a lot. And you will take that if it mean if it means even getting like a 40% chance at a guy who like quadruples the value he's you're paying him a hundred percent and that's the other thing too like in a world where you're making decisions with high degrees of uncertainty which is nhl free agency duba signing four contracts like that one of them was never going to work out like they were not good enough players such that all four of those players were all likely to hit at the same time like this was a certainty it just happened to be richie yeah 100 percent, and like you know, and it, it had, for Dupas, it sucks that it happened to be the guy he signed to the most money. But, you know, because, like, if it's bunting, no one's batting an eye because he's buried in the minors, right? But yeah, um, James variable. 
but at the same time, like people are complaining about this. It's like, well, to me, that's a hell of a lot better than you signing four guys for $5 million in free agency and one of them not working out or two of them not working out. Like always happens to teams to try to do that. Yeah. Are you sign like the, the Lucic contract or something like swing big and have a blow up in your face? Yeah. So I don't know. I, I feel like people probably shouldn't be surprised that we were defending this move. I kind of fall in the middle. I think it was a fine trade. I don't think Dubas is the smartest GM ever because he pulled off this trade, but I also don't think it was a bad piece of work either. Like this was just, it upgraded the team. You got rid of a contract for next year that uh, you didn't want on your books. So thumbs up and it'll be interesting to see where they go from here. Yeah. It's like a, like a B move. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Kind of expected of a good, decent general manager. And yeah. Can't complain. Nope. Uh, I don't think so. So um, I guess the other thing I want to talk about, and this isn't really related to trade, but Arizona and these Chichen rumors is how far is too far gone for like, like Tom completely stripping this down and rebuilding because like, this is the most aggressive we have seen in the NHL in a very long, like to like 2015 Buffalo standards. And this might even more be more aggressive than that, to be honest. They're not like openly tanking, but the Habs are, now we're recording this right as they've won like three games in a row. So this could have changed. But the Habs were like playing worse than that McEichel tank Sabres. Which is hilarious. It's so funny. I think it's probably changed now because, yeah, they won three in a row. And I think they're probably ahead of the Coyotes in the standings now. But like, like if you trade Chitrin, he's 23. And like you and I are probably the most aggressive with age curve or like more aggressive in terms of don't sign old people than like, 98 99% of hockey fans but like man a 23 year old defenseman who is like literally the only good thing about your team I guess maybe if it's him pushing for his way out because he doesn't want to be fair enough but like yeah I was gonna say I don't think they have much of a choice I would be doing almost everything I can to at least try and keep this guy yeah the problem is like I really don't blame him for wanting out no me either like Move into that new stadium with 3,000 seats or whatever it is. The team's going to be dog for at least three years. Like, yeah, I don't and see them at all, but they, yeah, they should. I shouldn't say everything in my past. If, if someone comes to you and says, I'll give you a first, a second, a high-end prospect and a roster player for Chichard, you absolutely take that run because I don't think he's that good of a, a defenseman. Well, that's what I was just about to say, because at some point you need NHL players to play and who better than Jacob Chipper, right? Like a, a young player who's had great seasons with great priors and everything. But I think he's mildly overrated league-wide. So if you want to cash out on that before, uh, before the jig is up, I wouldn't hate it either. He's definitely getting the OEL treatment, except he was probably never as good as OEL in OEL's peak, but he's also hasn't fallen off near as much as OEL yet, but it's the exact same thing. And you, I, th- I think you see this a lot in smaller markets like Florida that used to happen all the time too, where it's like player is pretty good, probably genuinely underrated for a couple of years. People start realizing that they're underrated and then just start attributing it to being in a small market. But everyone talks about them so much that they become overrated that by the time someone quote unquote gets them out of there, they're not even that good anymore. Yeah. That looks like exactly what's happening too, because Lost in how much people absolutely love this guy is how much of his value comes on the power play. Yeah, which like if you're one of for some teams, 
if you're one of three teams that need that, sure. But like, there's a yeah, lot of power like, merchants. Chickering to Toronto or whatever. It's like, no, absolutely not. It's the same issue with a like Klingberg, right? Like, yeah. And if he's cheap enough, obviously, but like, I'm assuming the market price for him is going to be very, very high. I would be shocked if it's anything less than a first, a top prospect, and another, and a roster player and a pick. Exactly. With that much term left on a 23-year-old who was drafted high, like there's no way it's going to be a cheap acquisition. And he has a lot of points historically, again, because I don't want to call him like a power play merchant because he's had somewhere between up until this year, he's had somewhere between good and very good numbers on a horrible team, but like it's still clear why people value him so much. And it's one to two shooting strong shooting seasons from a defenseman, which is yeah. probably the most valuable thing they can do. Yeah. And I mean, like even this year, if you go to uh hockey business, isolated impact this year and last year, he's still, the team has had positive uh, expected goals for rates while he's on the ice, which, Again, given how shitty that uh, uh, Arizona is, um, or the Arizona teams have been, like that's not the worst thing in the world. And then two years ago was when he actually had his one or a couple years ago, I guess, is when he had his couple decent defensive seasons. But he's never really put it all together in one. Where if he did, maybe then you could see where this value is coming from. But um, as is, yeah, it's like I, I guess if you get the offer, you absolutely have to. But like. Again, like this Arizona team stripping it out of the bone, and I'm going to be very curious to see what, like when slash what an actual rebuild to normalcy looks like because they have some guys, but like, like how much longer is Andrew Ladd really going to be playing? And there's only so long that Andrew Ladd playing in your top six or whatever, you can even pretend to be a serious team, right? Like Clayton Keller, I guess, if he wants to stick around, but there's already been talks that they kind of want to try and move him. Nick Schmaltz is another guy that's got term. Those are the only two guys that have any kind of term on the front end. Like, by the time you want to be good again, you still need the, if you use the Toronto's method, and I get people are going to laugh because they don't have a playoff win or whatever, but, like, you need the Lupul, or the Lupuls, the uh, JVRs and the Bozaks and the Cadres even, that are at least around for a long enough to, to let Matthews, you know, Matthews was playing third line competition, second line competition for his first couple of years. Right. Cause the, the first year it was um, the Bozak JVR line taking first. And then Tavares obviously signed after that. But th- the fact is that Matthews didn't have to jump in right away. And maybe he would have been good enough that he would have learned no matter what, but he didn't have to. And we saw how well that worked out where he is now, if you ask some people, the first best player, but I, the second best player in the league. Yeah. So yeah, it seems like a smart thing to do. Let them learn. Right. And if, even if you don't like the Toronto model, like Tampa had Hedman and Stamkos in place before the Palat Kucherov Johnson trio developed. And that trio developing is what gave them the depth, pushed them over the top to make the cup run in 2015 or whatever it was. And then all of those guys are all in place for uh point. Cernok. Yep. Yeah, yeah and Pirelli, the next wave after that, which went great for them. Like just having good players there was <laughs> it seems it, like it should help. It's shocker, yeah. Having good players helps uh, other people. But yeah, it's just like I just wonder who that's gonna be when like Dylan Gunther is ready to come up and you know, whoever they pick in the top three this year, right? Like um I, I'm just and I'm not sure because again, like literally the only two players with term are Keller and Schmaltz. And I'm not saying there's no way around this, maybe. They take a different approach and then say like free agency, they 
go and approach your Tyler Toffoli type player. Um, you know, idea. Yeah. And instead of even Philip to know, and you know, if money is what the big concern for a couple of those guys are, instead of offering six by six, maybe they go three by like seven and a half or something and clearly overpay for two or three years of use. But you know, by that third year, you're going to be able to just walk away. Yeah. Or you can resign them because your team's good and they love it there. Yeah, exactly. And or whatever. And, and you can tell them, you'd be like, hey, we gave you a big three-year payday. Do you want to take a discount to stay with us now? You know, so yeah, maybe you like there. You, you get another shot at cashing out and all that. There's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of reasons how you could sell that. Yeah. And, and so maybe maybe that's what they do and they take a bit of a different approach. But, um, you know, just with the roster they have now, like if you go through, if we played look in three years from now, how many players do you think realistically are here? Keller? Maybe I, I might even say like lean no to Keller because it sounds like they want to trade him. Kessel, no. Erickson, no. Schmaltz, I think, yes. I think Schmaltz seems like the one that's going to be locked in. He's not a good enough player that like people are dying to get him out of there. Where like Keller, even if he's not the greatest player, definitely has the reputation for it. He has flashes, and that's all that matters. Yeah. Lad, no, he won't be there in three years. Roussel, no. Nick Ritchie, very, very likely no. Kraus, maybe Christian Fisher, maybe Barrett Hayton, probably Liam O'Brien, no Riley Nash, no Alex Gilchenyuk, no Travis Boyd, no. So it's like, what I just listed, there are 11 other 14 forwards that are definite and no's, probably 10 other 14 forwards. Like, you're gonna have to make a pretty big team up over the next couple of years. And I'm just, I'm curious to see how they do that. Yeah, it's a lot of work, and people do. For what it's worth, people, the teams that did that were really stupid teams, so it's not impossible. Like, because the 2016 Sabres and Oilers failed at something doesn't mean it can't be done, but it does seem like it'll be a lot more difficult. Yeah, for sure. And part of it, I think, is because um, a lot of those teams that we've seen in years past have been bad by accident too right like i'm not like the, the sabers the mcdavid uh, the mcheichel sabers tank was clearly um they, they wanted to be bad but like they had stumbled into being that bad because they were trying to be good for a while and it just didn't work out right and then they stripped it down to the bone and people said oh they stripped it too far down the bone they couldn't develop anybody that's like the cautionary tale for the coyotes or whatever here but those teams were really dumb front offices well yeah exactly and it's just like the Sabres haven't been stripped down to the bone for like two or three years now, and they still can't develop anybody. So like, what's their excuse now? Oh, maybe it's just that they don't have a good development system. Yeah. And I think I sent this to you on Twitter, the like that the franchise saving QB is an oxymoron kind of thing. Did I ever send that to you? I think so. Yes. Yeah. So I guess for the, Everybody else, it was a thread on Twitter and it basically talked about similarly to hockey, actually even more extreme than hockey. Like football is obviously concentrated around the quarterback and finding a good one in the draft is basically the most valuable thing you can do. And if you look at all these guys who are hailed as like franchise saving QBs, um, most of them, not all of them necessarily failed or whatever, but they weren't what was expected generally. And then if you look at the real franchise QBs in today's day and age, they're all kind of guys who were put into a good context. 
like Patrick Mahomes, like he wasn't considered the best prospect in the draft. And then he goes to like a scenario in which a pretty terrible starter was putting up some of the best statistics in the league and he's killing it. Um, and you can kind of go down the list like that. So maybe I'm talking myself back into the fact that they need to get more aggressive here, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, I, there's definitely not an easy answer. And the, the other thing too, is like, there's not one way to develop a team. And just because a couple of them failed before, doesn't mean it's automatic to fail again. Right. Like. Exactly. Look at Vegas. Vegas did something that has never been done before. Literally couldn't have been done before and uh, worked beautiful for them. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, I, I don't have much more to say on that. Uh, there's two other things I wanted to get to. One, um, and this is the word we're going to talk about this for like 20 seconds probably, but Mark Borwecki got a, a contract extension this week. Really? Yeah. Do you know where he plays? We can we, we can kickstart the game early here if you want, but where <laughs> is he playing right now? Okay, so it can't be Ottawa if that's the question. Okay, I haven't heard of him, so that's going to make me guess West Coast. Yeah. He sounds like somebody who would go to one of the obscure teams. There's no way he's on Vegas, Colorado, Minnesota, or Calgary. So I'm going to say he's like the seventh defenseman on St. Louis or something like that. Ah, good, good line of thinking. Other overachieving team in that division, the Nashville Predators. Oh, that was pretty good. Yeah, he got traded to Nashville and then just resigned there, I'm pretty sure. Um, good for him. He, yeah, I, I, oh, he's like one of the few actually like nice NHL players too. He has two points in 41 NHL games this year. Um <laughs> His actual impact isn't horrible. Like he uh, is slightly above average in our APM defensively. So that's good, I guess. Um, I just, I kind of laughed. It's a $900,000 extension. I just kind of laughed that uh, when I saw him get it, because he is the last guy I would have, like he is a one, remember a couple, it was the last week or two weeks ago where I was talking about like, what uh, like promotes a GM to just be like, I need to sign this dude halfway through this season. Yeah, like. Yeah, especially Borwick. I guess we know he's, like, liked as a person. Yes, like, he is the typical. And, like, to be honest, like, I just pulled up his isolated 5v5 impact from Hockey Biz, too. He's been, like, actually good defensively for two years now. Minus 8.5%, minus 9.3% expected goals against. Somebody, quote, tweet the uh, Pred signing this contract with the money ball. Uh, <laughs> he, yeah exactly right so but yeah i, I just kind of laughed when i saw that because uh he was a fan favorite in the, the early tank years in ottawa that's for sure because he was an actual good guy did he have the Melnick interview was it him who had <laughs> yes he's the one who did the Melnick interview and that was also when he was like really really bad at hockey and like most sense fans just wanted to see him out so then all the jokes were like oh he got a contract because he did the interview with Melnick or whatever and then he ended up being like a Find sixth defenseman for the team for a year or two. Yeah, look at Mark Rowicki go. That's that's a fun one. Um, the other thing I want to talk about is Nathan McKinnon full on slashed the linesman yesterday and didn't even get a second. I don't even think he got a penalty for it. But he is not getting a game of suspension to the point where the NHL actually came out and made a statement against why they're not suspending him. Okay. 
I think Give the group me- chat guys were all like, well, that's obvious. I know the game happens fast, but that looked really bad to me. There is no excuse. What do we always say? There's no excuse. Like, just because you didn't mean to run a dude from behind or headshot a dude doesn't mean it didn't happen. He was also like multiple, he was like steps away before he starts swinging. The the overhead angle that it showed, I, I definitely can see how he just kind of missed the Bruins leg, the guy's leg. But the other thing that, and this is what I tweeted out too, is like, their defense was based. So uh, this is the exact defense here. Um, we immediately investigated incident and having conferred with the on ice officiating crew that was in the game and the NHL official officials association, it's been determined. The player's intention was not to strike the official, but rather to initiate contract contact with the opposing player. He was swinging at the back of this dude's leg where there was no padding. So like, I don't know if saying he actually um, didn't mean to hit our ref. He was meaning to two-hand a dude with no protection in the back of the legs. <laughs> I don't think that is much better of a defense that they think it is. Well, also, like, you're Nathan McKinnon. You understand hockey. Um, you're good at having your hockey stick in the right place. That's why you're Nathan McKinnon. The guy's, like, a stick lengths away from him when he starts swinging. And he's moving. And, yeah, again, like, even if he didn't necessarily mean to, he still hit a ref in a really unnecessary way. Like, I was really shocked by this. I couldn't believe he didn't get a single game. I thought for sure it would be one because it's just like. Because, like, I was, don't think you should have thrown the book at him. That would have no. been unnecessary, but it was stupid. It yeah, was really- like, at the, like, it's just like, it, it kind of just feels like a slippery slope of, like, what they might open up about suspending or not suspending. And, like, like let's say he meant to go punch a guy and he punched the ref in the head and said, is that. Does he get zero games because he didn't mean to punch the ref? Exactly. And it's like punishing the the, the result. Like even if you didn't mean to show, even if you meant to shoulder on shoulder a guy and then you take his head off, you still took his head off kind of thing. Yeah. Just like, like I believe most dirty hits are like that in the NHL, but they still get and deserve to be punished. Yeah. Or it's the same with just like when a guy turns and gets drilled from behind, people still want to go like, Oh, he shouldn't be turning in the boards. It's like, yes, you should want to protect yourself, but it's the onus is on the hitter. The onus is on the dude committing what is literally an infraction in the NHL rulebook in terms of slashing another player. The onus is on him to somehow not hit the ref because that feels like it shouldn't be on, like that should be an easy enough thing to do is just not hit the official, right? Like, yeah. And it's also just like lost in the rule book the respectful thing to do don't swing your stick around when the ref's standing right there yeah so like the, the other thing i want to so vermette got 10 games a couple back in 2014 he got 10 games for swinging a stick at a ref and that one was way more on purpose like that one you could tell he looked at the ref didn't like how the puck was dropped and just two-handed him across the um, the shin pads so like that was a, a clear trying to hit the ref um, and honestly, for what it's worth, those ones could be like 25 games and I wouldn't argue. Exactly. Like there's just, there's no excuse to be slashing an official like that at all. Um, so, but like, to me, I, I just thought that like, it being the exact same action, it was a good swing too. Like it was right on the shin pads, but like, I thought for sure he was going to get one just for being like, Hey, don't be stupid. And the other thing I want to bring up is the amount of 
fucking Bruin fans I saw and Capitals fans going, could you imagine if Marchand or Wilson did that? It's like, yeah, I could because they have his long histories of being absolute dumbasses. So, like, I just, I'm so sick of every time someone does or doesn't get a suspension, people like those two fan bases going, could you imagine if player X did that? It's like, well, yeah, that would be player X's seventh suspension in two years, all of them for headshotting someone like, so yes, I could imagine if they did that and they would deserve to get double the games of whatever the person in question got. Yeah. Priors matter. Yeah, like I just uh, I don't know the whole situation was wild. I could not believe that he got nothing. Um, and then of course logging on Twitter, I was in an even worse mood just seeing like imagine if that was Marshan, he would have got 12 games. It's like, yeah, well, Marshan has a very, very, very extensive and long history of doing stupid shit like that. So yes, yes, he does. <laughs> and it's not gonna stop. No, not even in the slightest. Like I yeah, it just I, I don't even have much more to say about that. It's not like and like I'm not actively like pissed off that he didn't get um the games or anything like that. Like it is it is what it is at the end of the day. Um I just thought it was crazy. I thought for sure he was gonna get I like I would if someone told me he got five games, I wouldn't have even been surprised. No, I no, I would say maybe that's a little aggressive, but that's what you get for being stupid. Yep. Yeah, you're so, responsible for your body. Yeah, exactly. So um I, yeah, I, I don't really have much more to say on that. I don't know about you, but I, th- I thought it was definitely interesting to uh, bring up at the very least. Yeah, I got nothing else, but it just wasn't what I expected because I saw the Twitter reaction before I saw the actual play itself. Yeah, it's just, it, um, and like, I, on first of all, view, I, I did think it was way worse. And then I kind of watched it again. I was like, okay, because the, the, the angle that went viral on Twitter the, the Bruins player was fully out of the screen when he two-handed the ref. So it did look like he just put his head up and two-handed a ref across the legs. But then it was like, when you looked at it again, it was like the Boston player had just left the screen when he had started. And it was like, he missed the guy's legs. He was clearly going for it. But I just don't think that's that great of an excuse. Yeah. It's a class, like any hits like that, right? If you show the right angles or the wrong angles, you can make anything look better or worse. Yes, 100%. So um, you want to play a pretty short episode. We, I've got a couple more names for where they play now, if you want to play that. Let's do it. I was thinking to speed th- or not, not speed things up, but I was listening back, and there's a lot of dead audio at times because some of these are very, very obscure names. Um, I was thinking when I say the name, you can, you can say whether you want to just figure out where it is by yourself um, we can keep track of points or just see if people can do it by themselves more at home. Uh, you can ask for one clue. One clue will give them the conference and you can ask for a second clue. And second clue would be in the playoffs or out of the playoffs right now. Okay. I like that. So then, you know, if it's a name, like and there's a couple, cause there's definitely a couple names here that are um, like really aggressive to the point. Where, like, I, I, yeah. I probably wouldn't have known where they were if I wasn't making the game up myself. So. Um, so with that being said, let's start with one. Uh, let's go Derek Stepan. Derek Stepan. That's got to be one of the best players we've seen on this game in a while. So Derek Stepan, he starts in the Rangers, right? Then he goes to the Arizona Coyotes in a big trade, if I remember correctly. And then he ends up in 
Ottawa last year, and I'm going to say Ottawa. I don't think it's right though. Not on the auto centers. He was yeah. That all of that was up to uh, last year. He was with Ottawa. Blew out his like quad. I want to say in like the twentieth game with Ottawa. So never got flipped. Uh, this year he signed with an Eastern Conference team in the playoffs right now. Do you have any more idea? Oh, I Google it now once I failed my guess. I'm the, the, Carolina. the Carolina Hurricanes, yes, where he's playing fine. Seven goals, seven assists uh, for 14 points in 39 games. Just kind of a fourth-line player there. I think he plays alongside Cottonyemi, if I'm not mistaken, actually. Um, but, yeah, that was a, definitely one of the better ones. I always forget that he got – he was in a big deal to Arizona. I'm trying to think what came back the other way, though. Oh, I don't remember. What went back the other way either? I want to say there was a second round pick in there, which is a really weird thing to remember. Traded. So the Coyote, the Sens. There's a first. Oh, oh for Ranta. Right. He was traded to the Senators for the conditions. He, yes. Yeah. Um, it was the Coyotes acquire Stepan and Ranta for a first round pick. And I think that was like eighth overall or something. Like it was a really high pick. That's probably, that's, oh, yeah, because it was a really unnecessary trade because they were still probably kind of, going to kind of suck. Yes, yeah, 100%. Um, all right, let's go to the next one I have on this list, and that is Justin Braun. Oh, he's like the big uh, he's a big deadline guy this year for some reason. He's like the third most talked about defenseman probably for the deadline. What a sad trade deadline. <laughs> uh, so that gives you one of the hints of what kind of team he is on right now. But I actually know this one because he gets tired over the deadline so much. He's on Philly. Yes. Yes, he is. The Philadelphia Flyers. Um, yeah, he literally is like the third biggest deadline talk right now, I think, which is sad. Like, he's not a bad player, but like. The Flyers thought they were a good team and went in with Ristolainen and Braun on the top four right side, and people really use appeal to authority as a logical argument in NHL debates. Yeah, and then they followed up, but we didn't have Ryan Ellis. It's like, I don't think Ryan Ellis is saving the steep board. 31-year-old Ryan Ellis, who's been hurt for a very, very long time, and you know was an injury risk going forward, too. Yep. (laughs) Like, Yeah, like that's not the... um, Ellis hadn't played a full season in like two or three years going in yes yeah so um okay the next one let's go with eric gustafson eric gustafson is eric gustafson the guy who had like insane numbers on chicago the one year yes it is that eric gustafson 29 year old swedish defenseman because he just put up like a million points in Chicago. Did he, he had to, 60 points in 79 games in 2018-19. Did he go to Philly? Uh, I'm going to use my hint on this one. Because okay. if it's he, East, I'm going to guess Philly. It is Western Conference. Oh, shit. He was, however, in Philly for uh, part of last year. Okay. Did they sign him? This team, uh, did Philly sign him? Yeah, like last. Yes, I believe so. Uh, yeah, there. And then he went to like Montreal 
for a fifth round pick or something. Yep, right? got flipped at the deadline to Montreal, played all 16 playoff games with them. Okay, so he's in the West. Yeah. Um, I have generally, genuinely no idea. I'm gonna go another hint. Non-playoff team. Non-playoff team. So it won't be Edmonton because I feel like I know if he was in Edmonton. I feel like I'd know if he was in Vancouver. So I'm gonna guess the Coyotes. He seems like a Coyotes. Or no, I was just on their cap friendly Dallas. He does kind of seem like a guy's player. This is a bit of a trick question. He is back in Chicago. Oh. They re-signed oh. him this year because I can't really tell you. He feels like he's funny. I, I've never understood why he has not had a permanent home somewhere. Even in Philly last year, he had 10 points in 24 games, but just kept getting healthy scratch. Yeah. I remember like, when I was trying to make like an age projection model, he was like the one big outlier because my model fucking loved him really early on in his career. Like number one defenseman, good. And he was, he had, I he that. that was so impressive, clearly. It was weird because he had really good underlying numbers for a while. And then the season he stopped having those, he threw up 60 points in 79 games for Chicago. And then 26 and 59 the following year, he got flipped to Calgary at the deadline. Three points in seven games for COVID hit, and then four points in 10 playoff games. And then, yeah, signed with Philly last year uh, and then got flipped to Montreal, was a part of their playoff, only had three points in their playoff run, um, but then signed a one-year deal at 800K this year with Chicago, which, like, I feel like there's worse deals that you could make than that. Yeah, especially for a team like Chicago, who's has, uh, like, young forwards that you actually care about, like getting the guy who can get to the get the puck to them. So hopefully the de- development doesn't fully stall because they have no competent puck moving defenseman. It makes a lot of sense. I think. Yeah, exactly. I definitely agree. Um, okay. I got two more on my list here. One, I think you are going to get for sure. Okay. But I'm not, I, I don't, I, I would be more surprised if you get this one, Ryan Donato. Ryan Donato. Okay. So he starts off in Minnesota. And then he goes to San Jose. No, he starts off in Boston, right? But they had to trade his rights or something weird. Yeah. I'm going to go with San Jose. I feel like that's right. It is not right. He was in San Jose last season. Oh, shit. I got it now. He's in Seattle. He is in Seattle. He was taken in the... I, th- I believe he was their pick in the expansion draft. Yes. Okay. Um, I said pick someone from San Jose. Playing a 700K, 750K deal out right now uh, and is an RFA at the end of this year. So he currently has 18 points in 47 games, 11 goals. Seattle, he might be a guy they flip at the deadline, to be honest. I forgot he actually played for Boston because people are going nuts about him early in his career. He got super hyped, and then he was kind of like along with DeBrusque, that one trade chip that they felt like they had every year, and they never actually traded him. And then they finally had to flip him to Minnesota because he wanted out, I think, and wasn't getting the playing time. Yeah, which is too bad because if they cashed out on him at the – well, I'm happy about it, but for them it's too bad because they could have got the bag for this guy who turned out to be nothing. Bruins trade. He reminds me of Jimmy VC because he was super hyped coming out of college, right? Yep. Oh, it was Char- Charlie Coyle they traded him for. Well, that's a hell of a deal. Looking yeah. back. I was going to say, uh, Donato in a fifth. Pardon? 
close there to see this year, isn't he? Yeah, yes, he is. Maybe a little reluctantly from uh, some Bruins fans, but he is their 2C. He's no Krejci, but still. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Wrapping it up, let's go with one. I, I think you might get this one. There's We dunked on this one a lot in the offseason, but uh, Derek Forbert. God, I remember making fun of this one. We made fun of it all the time. It means he probably went to a really stupid team. So he goes, he starts in LA, right? And then if we're dunking on it, which conference is it in? Because if it's West, I'm just going to guess Edmonton. It's Eastern Conference. Eastern Conference. What's this? What was a team that would do this? Feels like a, the, the Ranger or the Islanders seemed like a team that could have done that. Is that your final guess? Actually, give me another hint. I guess I still got that. Playoff team. Not the Islanders. Go with the Rangers then. Good guess, but it is a team that we just talked about, the Boston Bruins. Did they get, yeah, okay. I'm on the cap really now. They gave him and Mike Riley the same. I was going to say, they signed one of the best and one of the worst deals of the in the exact same time, about two hours apart, because that is what we could not understand is how you look at two left handed shooting defensemen that have played for your, you for or against you. One was Mike Riley, which we applauded because that was a solid deal three by three for a second pair guy. And the other was Derek Forbert. And you went, yeah, I got to give that guy the same money, exact same deal with a modified no trade clause, a better deal, to be honest. Yeah, because it was like the Dmitry Filipovich either tweet or just thing he said on his podcast. It's like, how in the world can the lod- the brain that led you to signing Mike Riley have said that Derek Forbert thing's a good idea? Yes, exactly. It's like hours apart, too. It's just uh, absolutely insane. So, um I guess I, I should keep track of score and see how many hints you need to get these so that people can play along at home. But I have, you didn't get step on, you didn't get forward. Uh, you didn't get Gustafson, but you did get, uh, you got Braun with no hint. Um, and I guess you didn't get Donato, but I feel like if I would have, if we keep going, I would have given you another hand. I think you probably would have got Donato just yeah. with points knocked off. But I was um, overconfident on the Donato one. It was, a, I mean, good guy. I, I forget he played in San Jose all the time, anyways. So, like you, I, I will fully admit, if people think that you are not doing good a job at this, you are doing still way better than I would because there are a lot of these where I look them up and I write them down because I go, shit, I totally no. forgot that guy played there. Or you'll just be, no. you're even better at mapping them out where they used to play because when like even when you said step on started in new york i went yeah i totally forgot about that to be honest yeah well i made for because most of these guys are old because to be obscure you generally have to be old so i may i was made i made so many like player models from 2012 to 2018 i've really dialed in on who played where then and then we have the podcast basically since then except I've just focused more on football because I'm writing about the NFL this year. So I tend to guess last year's teams a lot. Yeah. Which is very fair, but um, yeah, I don't know. Hopefully this is something that's somewhat entertaining for people to play along at home. It's uh, a nice, nice to throw in a little bit of a change when we have a short podcast, but let us know any other ideas you have. There's a couple other game, uh, small games that I've been uh, debating trying to work with and see how they go over uh, podcast form. So we might have to try those out, but 
Uh, I think we're good to wrap it up here. It was about an hour. Um, as always, you can find my work at lastwordonhockey.com, Chase at actionnetwork.com, me on Twitter at NHL Sends and stuff, and Chase on Twitter at CMHockey66. Thank you everyone so much for listening. As always, we'll talk to you next time. <laughs>